powerful words that we can hear when we're in struggle are, me too. This sermon series that we're doing called Jesus Can Relate is, is Jesus saying gently to us again and again, me too. Today we're going to talk about one of the most difficult of our human experiences, family relationships. And we will hear Jesus whisper to us once again, me too. So let's pray now and invite him to quiet our hearts because I think he has something to say to us this morning. Jesus, we thank you. Of all the ways that you could have come, of all the ways that you deserved to come, you came in the most humble you came as a baby who, who has needs, who needs a diaper change, who needs to be fed, who needs to be held. You chose to make yourself vulnerable on our behalf. And every day of your life, you chose the same thing, to make yourself vulnerable on our behalf. You were born into a human family. So you get it. You know you know those things that we experience day to day. You know the beauty, you know the complication. And whatever we are walking in here with this morning, we can trust, Jesus, that you know. And so now as we prepare to listen to you, God, you know that I have no words that can change any human hearts. And so I just ask you to show up. Would your spirit minister your word tenderly to our hearts? You have said that you alone have words of life. Would you speak those words of life to us now as we sit in a posture of listening and expectation? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, if we are honest, all of us can think of a family relationship that is painful. It's one thing that unites us all as humans. But we don't often think of, of Jesus as having experienced these same painful family dynamics. But he did. We are just 13 days away now from Christmas, which means that we are in a season when family is everywhere. In virtually every Christmas movie that you watch, you will see a family in some form or state of dysfunction. In Home Alone, the family flies off to Paris and accidentally leaves poor Kevin behind. In Elf, Buddy finds out that he's been lied to all his life, and he goes in search of his birth father. In The Preacher's Wife, the Reverend Henry realizes that he has put the needs of his church family before the needs of his own family. And that wonderful classic, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey realizes that he, he almost takes his life because he's afraid of disappointing his family. Even Jesus himself had an earthly family with their fair share of drama. This morning we will look at three passages in the scripture which pull back the curtain on Jesus' family drama. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 12. We'll start with verse 46 if you want to follow along. 
While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, my father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. You can almost hear the audible gasp from the crowd that's listening to this exchange between the family. Matthew Henry summarizes the passage this way. His mother and brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him, when they should have been standing within, desiring to hear him. Christ was so intent on his work that no natural or other duty would take him from it. Not that under pretense of religion, we may be disrespectful to our parents or unkind to our relations, but the lesser duty must stand by while the greater is done. Let us cease from men and cleave to Christ. Let us look upon every Christian in whatever condition of life as the brother, the sister, the mother of the Lord of glory. Let us love, respect, and be kind to them for his sake and after his example. I don't want you to miss that first point there. Jesus' family was waiting outside, waiting to speak to Jesus when they should have been inside listening to him. What about you? Are you trying to push your agenda on Jesus or are you eagerly asking him what he wants to do in and through you? Now, Jesus was not being disrespectful to his earthly family. Actually, it was quite the reverse. He was elevating the family of God. If you have experienced any kind of brokenness in your family, it can be easy to idolize the idea of the perfect family. Or if you have grown up in a really wonderful family, if you have had that blessing, it can be easy to slip into the mindset that family is the most important thing in life. Both can be forms of idolatry. Jesus here is reordering our values. He's putting family in its proper place. Jesus clearly loved and honored his parents. In fact, one of the last things that he did when he was hanging on the cross was to ensure that his mother would be taken care of after he died. Go read about it this afternoon. It's in John chapter 19. And yet, Jesus here draws a godly boundary. He makes it clear that God's family is the defining family relationship in our lives. Our spiritual brothers and sisters have a greater claim on us than our biological ones. Or, to put it another way, Our biological family is temporary, but our spiritual family is eternal. In fact, in Luke 14, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. 
Wow. Those are shocking and sobering words. What did Jesus mean by them? Years ago, I heard this passage taught when I was in college by a campus minister. And he said that the word hate means to dispute any false claims on someone or something. I think that's a helpful definition for us. Spurgeon explains it this way. It's only in a comparative sense and not literally that the term hate can possibly be used. And to make this very clear, Christ said that we are even to hate our own life. This should be good news for those of us who have less than ideal earthly families. God has begun building a new family. Our new heavenly family will still have a few crazy uncles. We will probably have an annoying cousin or two. Definitely some grandmas that are more like Medea than Maya Angelou. But we will all, when Jesus returns, be made like our Heavenly Father. We will have true peace at our family dinners. We will have true love for even the kookiest of our relatives. And we will have true joy as we worship and serve God together. For those who are blessed to enjoy joyful family relationships now, Jesus says that that is just a shadow and a foretaste of heaven. Even the great cynic, Frederick Nietzsche, understood how beautiful family has the potential to be. He says, in family life, love is the oil that eases friction, the cement that binds us closer together, and the music that brings harmony. But while we are on this side of heaven, as we wait for Christ's return, we can be sure that we will experience more family drama. So let's look at two more stories from Jesus's life to see how we can deal with it. Our next story is found in Luke chapter 2. We'll start with verse 41. Every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom After the festival was over, while the parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they finally found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I heard a mmm over on this side. And I think that's the right response, right? This is a, this is a really, <laughs> a, a, a story that's rife with family conflict. Uh, in preparing for this sermon, I read one commentary on this passage where the takeaway was what responsible parents Jesus had. How they, Mary and Joseph just searched everywhere until they found him and they wouldn't give up. I kept thinking to myself, are we reading the same story? Imagine that you are a parent taking a long road trip with your children. You know, dads especially, you know, you've got everything packed in that camper on the top, you know, the little hard shell. You've got everyone arranged. You know your routes. You know what rest stops you're taking. You know where you're stopping for a drink and a potty break. And you are in it. You're, you are a full day into your mission. The second day you wake up, you're getting everybody dressed and ready, and you realize, I'm missing a kid. You start to freak out, right? You are freaking out. You throw everything in that car as fast as you can. You speed as fast as your car will humanly go. And you are tearing through to look for your kid. You are looking everywhere for him. Imagine two additional days once you get back to your original location of searching frantically for your child. Mamas, are your hearts racing yet? They would be if you were in that scenario. When you get there, you finally find your child. Teaching Sunday school to a group of adult pastors. When he finally spots you, his greeting is, Hey, Mom and Dad, why do you look so frazzled? Didn't you know that this is where you'd find me? It's like Home Alone was a modern remake of this Bible story. Well, I don't know about your family, but a spanking would definitely have occurred in mine. But yet we're told that Jesus did not sin in this encounter. (coughs) Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't testing his parents or disobeying them. They had failed to recognize his need to be in God's house and with God. God's people. In many ways, this story illustrates the point of our previous one. Even at the age of 12, Jesus understood that he had a greater responsibility to God's family than to his earthly family. Here was a group of pastors, learned, aged men, willing to sit and be taught by a 12-year-old. Imagine the humility, the teachability, and the faith that was required of them. They saw that this child was special. They saw the Spirit of God in him. And they recognized that they were members of the same eternal family. Parents, I have a little word for you here, and I hope you receive it tenderly. Your children might not grow up to have the career, the family, 
the reputation, the income, or the home that you dream of them having? Are you willing to submit your dreams and plans for your children's lives to God? Are you willing to let God write their story instead of you doing it? And kids, teenagers, college students, young adults, following God might not mean that you get a corner office before you're 30. It might mean a long bout of singleness. It might mean that God gives you a larger income for the purpose of blessing others. It might mean that he asks you to shut down that Instagram account that leaves you feeling bitter and jealous. Are you willing to let God write your story, even if it doesn't look like what you want it to? So I want to pause here because I know that's a hard word for you, and I want to share a bit of my own story here. Now, many of you know that I spent two years as a missionary in East Asia. But what you probably don't know is what it took to get there. After my college graduation, when I told my parents how I felt that God was leading me, my mom's response was not, Woohoo! It was, we'll see about that. What followed was about six months of them refusing to talk about or even acknowledge my plans. My mom proceeded to tell me how I was selfish and a bad daughter for going so far away from them. She said some things that caused me deep and profound pain. That conversation was very hurtful to me, but it was also very confusing. After all, hadn't God called me to this? Hadn't he made his plans clear? Why then did he seem to be abandoning me now with my family? It took some time and some very honest prayer. But God showed me that neither his plans nor his love for me had changed at all. Like the story that we just read about Jesus and his parents... My desire was to serve God and to bless others. But that desire left my parents feeling hurt, abandoned, and helpless. Now, there were many conversations that followed where I tried my best to express honor and respect for my parents. But ultimately, my resolve to follow and honor God came first. There are times... When following God might mean being misunderstood by your family. Follow him anyway. I promise you that he sees. He sees every tear you shed. He hears every unjust word that's spoken. He knows every pain in your heart. He feels what you feel. You can pour out your heart to him. And you can trust him with the outcome. We are promised in Ecclesiastes 3.11 
that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now it's that last part that we don't like, right? <laughs> we want it to make it, we want him to make it beautiful in our time, but he promises he will make everything beautiful in his time. Now, given time and prayer, my parents eventually did come around. If not to a place of enthusiastic support, at least to a place of acceptance. Which I will tell you is proof that God is in the business of miracles. Even in our own complicated families. So our last story for this morning takes place in the book of Mark, chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many of them who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's his wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. And he would not do any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now there is a video that has been circulating on the internet for the past few months, and I think it perfectly expresses what Jesus must have been feeling here. So they're going to bring it up for us. I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can ask. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 All right, let's go. 11 years has never happened before. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've had a moment like that, right? A moment where you met a circumstance that was greater than the resources that you had at your disposal. Maybe it was a Thanksgiving dinner, or maybe a Christmas morning, maybe a wedding, a test, an interview, a relationship, maybe a physical challenge. There are some moments that will require more of us than the resources that we have at our disposal. And this is where we see Jesus show up. In the height of his ministry success in this story... He was drawing in crowds of thousands. He was healing diseases that no doctor would even touch. He was leaving the most brilliant Bible scholars speechless. And then he walks into his hometown. And he's not greeted with a parade. He's greeted with a protest. The people who had gotten a front row seat to watch his whole life, who should have been his biggest cheerleaders, are instead his biggest critics and naysayers. His own neighbors and relatives make light of his accomplishments. They question his identity and they attack his very own character. David Gusick summarizes it this way. 
Jesus left Nazareth as a carpenter, and he came back as a rabbi, complete with a whole group of disciples. It isn't hard to see how the Nazareth locals would wonder, what happened to Jesus? I don't want you to miss this, though. Their response was not characterized as shock, awe, or even surprise. The scripture says their response was unbelief. They asked what had happened to Jesus, and they came up with their own conclusion. Nothing. These must be exaggerated stories, tall tales. We don't believe. We don't believe any of these things. After all, Jesus, we changed your diapers. We knew you when you were learning how to plane wood. You'll never amount to any more than what you've always been. And we're told here that Jesus marvels at their response. Again, from David Gusick, we never read that Jesus marveled at art or architecture or even the wonders of creation. He never marveled at human ingenuity or invention. He didn't marvel at the piety of the Jewish people or the military dominance of the Roman Empire. But Jesus did marvel at faith when it was present in an unexpected place and when it was absent where it should have been. You need to believe that Jesus felt every bit of the sting of his neighbor's insults. But in the book of Hebrews, we've already quoted, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. That passage goes on to say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In other words, Holy Spirit, activate. Jesus knows our struggle. He's felt the pain and loneliness of difficult family relationships. He is the loving high priest who whispers to us, me too. He even lays down his own life to restore what has been broken in our families. He's the intermediary who has made peace with God and invites us into God's new family. He calls us his sisters and his brothers. And he even delights to share his perfect heavenly father with us. He promises that one day soon we will all live together in perfect harmony. But until that day comes, he has not left us without hope. Even as we navigate our difficult family relationships here on earth, Jesus has given us his own spirit to help us. We are not just allowed to ask for help. We are encouraged to do so. We're not without hope and neither are our relationships. They can get better. We can experience his healing and we can grow on the inside to be more like him as he develops his heart and his character within us. 
He has given us his spirit to make our prayers effective before God and to help us to be effective carriers of his gospel to all that we come in contact with, even those with the hardest of hearts, even our own difficult family. So this year at Christmas, when Aunt Sally asks why you haven't gotten that promotion at work yet, pray for the Spirit to give you kind, gentle words instead of expletives. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.1. Holy Spirit, activate. When Grandpa Bill jokes that you might not need that extra dinner roll, Pray for the Spirit to fill you with the kind of peace that keeps you quiet. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. Holy Spirit, activate. When your cousin Dion reminds you of all of the trouble that you used to get in together as kids, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of your new identity as a child of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Holy Spirit, activate. C.S. Lewis said, You cannot go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. You get to write the rest of your family story, friends. Make it a good one. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we call on you now. Thank you, thank you, thank you that through Jesus we have full access to you. Any time of day or night, any time of need, any time of blessing, we are invited to come to you to ask you for your help.